Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. KFI AM uh, 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. And uh, welcome back on a Monday morning, November 14th. Cold, cold this morning driving in. I mean, it's about the coldest it's been in a very long time. All right, this morning, uh, the president uh, gave a press conference of which he basically said nothing, uh, only because we knew it, what he was going to say. Uh, it was well established beforehand, and he answered questions, and it was uh, not much. However, underlying uh, that press conference uh, are uh, the issues between China and uh, the United States. And here it gets, uh, I'm not going to use the word interesting, but we're at the lowest point in terms of relations that we have been with uh, China probably since uh, China was opened up by Richard Nixon in the early 30s. I mean, we're at a low, low point. And at the same time, in terms of connection between leaders, we're at a high point. Xi and uh, President Biden know each other. They've known each other for, well, probably decades now. They were both vice presidents at the same time. They have a personal relationship with each other. Although, in terms of style, uh, you've seen Biden. I mean, he's... Uh, He's garrulous. He talks a lot. He's a hugger. He's very informal. Uh, he's a regular Joe Biden. Uh, Xi, very formal. He's not an emotive, uh, emotive at all. Uh, you can't see really what he is thinking. And that's simply the way he governs. And in the meantime, you've got this pretty benign looking guy. He, he looks like an, a, just a nice guy, doesn't he? Uh, he has created an autocracy in China. There has not been a leader as strong as he is since Mao Zedong. I mean, the only person you can compare him to on a world uh, on the world stage is Putin, who runs Russia. The strongest leader since Stalin. And so, based on that, uh, the United States is, is at a disadvantage because she she knows. Uh, if, uh, well, let's say another President Trump comes in or another even more liberal uh, President Biden comes in and wants to deal with China and is willing to do almost anything uh, to keep the uh, negotiations going. So uh, you look at the experts and what they have to say. One expert who was interviewed, uh, his name is Scott Kennedy. He's a China expert at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Uh, he was uh, a big honcho in uh, the George W. Bush administration. And he says one of two things are going to happen. One of them, there's going to be a screaming match, tit-for-tat lectures, not screaming, but 
each talking to the other publicly and saying uh, all the negative stuff that your country is doing and we're simply responding. Uh, no, I don't think that happened. Uh, the other one is the two sides opening more lines of communication at lower levels of government. What ended up happening is uh, after uh, Nancy Pelosi visited Taiwan, which was an idiot meeting as far as I'm concerned, China cut off uh, routine communications, uh, e even with the U.S. military. And in the military people talk to each other. I mean, uh, even the United States talks to Russia and says, here is where our airplanes are going to be. China and the United States do the same thing. Because no one wants an accidental shooting down of a uh, of an enemy, if you want to call them enemy airplane. I mean that you want to start a war on that one, and uh, this is uh, what the, uh, the American government really wants to keep open. Also, uh, opening up some trade, uh, looking at tariffs. So where did this all happen? It uh, happened in uh, happened in Indonesia. And uh, the president is already there, as was she, for uh, the G20 summit, which is happens every year. And the G20 summit is the top uh, 20 uh, economic uh, powerful countries in the world. And they just sit down and talk to each other. And does anything happen there? Of course not. They just have nice dinners. They wear nice clothes. Uh, they're treated like VIPs. And it's just kind of a nice social networking is really what it is. Occasionally, you get something out of it. You know, for example, the Paris Accord. And there may be, you know, Reykjavik, uh, where things uh, did eventually come out of it between Gorbachev and uh, Reagan. Uh, but for the most part, nothing. And here, now all of these summits are climate change uh, global stability, because the world is unstable and it has been for a very long time. And just general uh, shake hands, get together. Hey, we're still there. Hey, we're still talking. Maybe not a lot happens, but we want to make sure the uh, world notices and we want to make sure you notice that we are open to talking. So inevitably, unless uh, you're... Russia, which is being ostracized by a lot of the world, not necessarily China, and that's another story entirely, uh, is China, which is still an ally of Russia. That's a discussion, but we don't know what happened. And, uh, well, we do. Nothing happened. All right, now let's move on to uh, a U.S. intelligence report just came out. And uh, it's this one has to do with meddling in U.S. politics. All right, uh, no surprise. We've known for a very long time that there has been meddling in U.S. politics. The winner uh, there, of course, is Russia. And we just heard uh, that uh, the Russian, the chef to uh, Putin, the guy who was involved in food supplies, I mean, doesn't really cook for Putin, uh, said in the first time after denial and years of denial, yep, you're damn right we meddled. We meddled in 2016, and he is involved in that. We meddled in 2020, and we are going to meddle not only in 2022, which is now, uh, but also the 2024 uh, elections. And they pray for uh, Donald Trump to be one, once again the president because we know that President, former President Trump likes Vladimir Putin, believes Vladimir Putin, has said openly that uh, the— the intelligence community, 17 agencies of the intelligence community in the United States, all are liars. 
they are liars. The only one telling the truth is Putin. You're damn right Putin wants him to be uh, the president again. Okay, so it's Russia, right? Well, let me give you some news. Uh, how about uh, the uh, Europe, no, excuse me, the uh, Arab community? How about uh, the Emirates, which is a group of fiefdoms, so much oil, you can't believe it, one of the wealthiest places in the world, the Emirates, and it's, and it's not a country in and of itself. Guess what they've been doing? They've been meddling in our politics. But wait a minute, they're the biggest allies we have, certainly the number one allies in the Middle East. Well, Arab countries, clearly Israel is our closest ally. I mean, we are in lockstep with Israel, and Israel is in lockstep with us, except for the political, the, the parts now that are going right, far right. But in general, certainly when it comes to military, certainly when it comes to the security of the United States and the Western world and the Arab countries, the influence uh, that uh, the West has uh, in in the Arab world is really important. But there was a document uh, that was compiled by the National Intelligence Council and not released per se, but uh, when you have, uh, for example, the Washington Post or the New York Times report on stuff like this, they tend to corroborate it with different sources. And here they had three different sources uh, all commenting on it, all very close. And usually you can believe that stuff. And... They've come out and said uh, the United uh, Arab Emirates have uh, in, been involved in politicking in a bunch of different ways, not just uh, secret meddling. Uh, they have for years, and other uh, countries do the same thing. For years, they hire lobbyists. The difference is we know who the lobbyists are. They have to be registered the government has to know. There's no limit to the amount of money they can spend. You, you want a good job? Be a lobbyist for a foreign country. That is a healthy, healthy income. So how do you get to be a lobbyist? You just apply like you do with the local Taco Bell and get the job? Nope, you've got to be a real insider. You have to have been in uh, high levels of government, high levels of Congress, high levels of the military, and you go out and get a job on a, at a lobbying firm, and the money that you get paid is astronomical. And when you talk about wealthy countries, who has just got in trouble with Turkey? Uh, and you've got uh, certainly uh, Hunter Biden being uh, accused of uh, lobbying for Ukraine, and he's uh, under investigation, as he should be. Because there's just too much there, there. And why hasn't he been investigated? Well, a lot of people think that it has to do with uh, his dad being president of the United States. And uh, once Congress is taken over by the Republicans, the first thing that's going to happen, the first thing that's going to happen is, and uh, McCarthy has already said that, is we're going to open up investigations on everyone with the primary source, Hunter Biden. So you got to register. He didn't, by the way. But the argument is he pushed, he pushed, he pushed. And that is the same thing going on, except most of the time it is legal. And it is influential as hell. Lawsuits are filed on behalf of countries. Lobbyists are hired on behalf of countries. Certainly uh, government officials uh, with each other uh, talk 
And clearly when they sit down and the Emirates are having a conversation with the uh, American governmental uh, governmental officials, uh, everybody knows each other's position. But what makes this one strange is uh, the relationship between us and uh, the UAE, the United Arab Emirates, is uh, that over the years we've been so close that very few countries in the world get the most sophisticated and lethal military equipment, including aerial drones, I mean, really sophisticated ones, advanced F-35 fighter jets. These are the best fighter jets in the world. And the United States naturally has a fleet, uh, part of the Air Force, and every country in the world that has the money wants these things. We're very selective. Look, look at what happened in, the U- in Ukraine now. Ukraine was begging for high-end artillery, for example, and high-end missiles or rockets that were uh, let loose on these uh, military vehicles. Biden wouldn't let him have it. Eventually he did, and uh, that is the primary reason, along with the morale of the Ukrainians, that's the primary reason uh, that uh, the Ukrainian forces were are at a point now where Kyrgyzstan has been taken and Russia is being moved back to the border because of the military equipment. And the same thing we do with the UAE. So why do they get involved? Why do they meddle? Well, because, number one, they can. Number two, it is hugely influential. I mean, how much influence do you think Russia had on the uh, election in uh, 2016, particularly? A lot of people give Russia the credit for uh, Donald Trump winning it with disinformation, with misinformation, with lies. Now, you're not hearing a whole lot of that this time around. And uh, we're not hearing uh, much uh, about uh, them getting involved in uh, the congressional elections because everybody on both sides uh, loves Ukraine or on both sides of the aisle. So uh, we look at the numbers and the amount of money that's been spent on uh, political campaigns and involvement in uh, the U.S. and our political uh, process from the UAE is $145 million dollars. All right, is that a huge amount? No, but that doesn't include everything else that's involved. Doesn't include uh, the lobbying for military equipment. Doesn't include the governmental involvement. And one of uh, the stories that just came out of this report is the hiring of three former U.S. intelligence and military officials to help uh, the Emirates surveil their own dissidents and politicians and journalists. And the ones that are in the U.S. companies. Uh, We're getting a lot of information on this. Wouldn't think that an ally, one of the strongest allies we have, is part of getting involved in our politics. And why do they do this? I said because they can. And how come they can? Because we are one of the most open societies in the world. You know, we believe in this thing called freedom. And transparency, no matter what people say. Uh, about our uh, voting mechanisms. A word or two about what's going on with DACA, you know, the uh, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. Uh, This is Dreamers, effectively. And uh, this story out of the L.A. Times that looked into this because the numbers uh, have changed pretty dramatically. 
Okay, it originally uh, protected from deportation more than 800,000 dreamers. That's people who were brought to the United States as kids and in some cases didn't know that they were brought illegally. I mean, talking about toddlers who the first time they discover that uh, they're not here legally because mom and dad didn't tell them is when they go for a driver's license. And you need to pull out either a passport or a birth certificate and whoops, don't have one, no driver's license, what's going on? I am illegal. So uh, if they had applied and met the conditions, they then were under the protection of DACA, protected from deportation, even though they are illegal. Uh, And uh, they could uh, work and drive and travel legally. So started with 800,000. Now it's fewer than 600,000. And one of the problems that they're having is they were never offered a pathway to citizenship. And that is a very big deal for people coming in the United States. And it, frankly, was a temporary stopgap measure. President Obama even said that when he introduced DACA in 2012. So here we are 10 years later, and the program is still alive And uh, the lives of many of these enrollees, uh, or at least their lives here in the United States, are hanging by a thread. And so what's going on? Well, you've got a small number, a growing number, though, of DACA recipients uh, because of the instability. They're moving to other countries. They're bailing out. And the end-all, be-all for many of these DACA recipients is the United States. I want to move to America. U.S. refugees from all over the world, and we're talking millions of displaced uh, people because, of course, the world is falling to hell in a handbasket. And you will uh, ask them, where do you want to go? The vast majority will say America. And that's what certainly DACA recipients want, except now they still want it, but they may not get it. The courts have gone south uh, with them. So far, you have an appeals court. And you have a second appeals court, and this is moving up the Supreme Court, that has outright declared DACA illegal, unconstitutional. The president didn't have the authority. Uh, and that's been held up. That concept of illegality has been held up in the courts. Now, uh, unlike other decisions, what happens is these judges said, okay, until there is a final decision by the Supreme Court, you can still have the protections under DACA. Pending the the decision of the Supreme Court. Which way do you think the Supreme Court's going to go? Hmm? Uh, they're going to rule uh, the uh, unconstitutionality of uh, DACA. The Trump administration tried to end DACA, but that didn't work because procedurally they didn't follow the rules. One of the things the Trump administration did, and uh, this is simply... Um, you know, just how sloppy it was is uh, proclamations were made, decisions were made uh, by presidential directive. But there are rules involved. You have to have periods, uh, uh, comment periods. You have to follow certain rules, certain regulations within the directives. And the Trump administration didn't do it. So they were overturned. And it wasn't they were overturned on the merits or the constitutionality of whether the president did or did not have the power It was simply, you didn't follow the rules. You didn't follow your own procedures. Therefore, you lose. Well, that certainly doesn't happen. It certainly wouldn't happen in the Biden administration. He's been in government way too long. 
And he has people around him who have been in government way too long, and they know the rules. They know how it all works. And President Biden has not been a huge fan of DACA either. It's not a high priority for him. He's got a lot of other fish to fry. So you're going to maybe see DACA really reduce. Well, we are seeing reducing in numbers because the number of people that are bailing out are uh, increasing. And there are other countries that will accept DACA recipients, especially those people who've gotten the education because people can go to school here. The only thing they can't get, there are even scholarships available. Now, not from the federal government. They can't get Pell Grants. Uh, they can't get student loans that are back from federal government. But there are plenty of private scholarship programs out there, which is, you know, it's up to them. It's private money. So uh, we can't say anything about it. You can give your money away to anybody you want. So you're going to see, I think, the numbers of DACA recipients or DACA applications drop like crazy. What's going on with uh, the election? It's still going on. And it is going on for, well, it'll be several more days, a couple more days for, for example, Arizona to come in. Uh, And we know, I think it's December 6th when the uh, Senate, uh, the runoff election in Georgia between Warnock and Herschel Walker. And so we won't know. Well, it doesn't really matter as far as control of the Senate is concerned. Now it's only is it going to be 50-50 with Kamala Harris, the breaking, uh, the presiding, uh, the vice president who can break the vote. So it's uh, effectively 51-50. Or is it going to be 51-49 if uh, Warnock wins the uh, runoff? And boy, they are neck and neck. So what's going on in the House? Because that's up in the air. Uh, right now, uh, the Senate. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Belongs to the Democrats. The uh, House belongs to the Democrats. And, of course, the uh, presidency is Democratic. So you think anything that Biden wants, he's going to get. No, not really. Because there are a couple of, well, there's one in particular, Joe uh, Manchin of West Virginia, who is really a a Republican in Democratic clothes. I mean, he's really conservative, and that's why a lot of of financial bills wouldn't pass. For example, the second or the third stimulus package, uh, Manchin just shut it down, saying we can't afford it. And that was basically a Republican position. So uh, this Republican wave that was supposed to happen, remember uh, Ted Cruz uh, talked about it at a press conference and at one of his rallies, actually, uh, he talked about how this Republican wave was going to sweep the United States and the Senate was going to go Republican and the House was going to go Republican. And uh, that would have been complete gridlock. As a matter of fact, if the House does go uh, uh, Republican, that's going to be sort of gridlock. The Senate has certain things that only the Senate does. Uh, For example, confirmation of judges, federal uh, high-end federal appointees, mainly judges. That's the important one. That's the Senate. House has nothing to do with it. Ratifying treaties. That's all the Senate. The House has nothing to do with it. 
And there are certain things that uh, the House does that the Senate has nothing to do with. You know, uh, for example, investigations. You know, why is it that Trump and uh, you have a lot of Republicans investigated, uh, investigated and you didn't see Democrats being investigated, did you? That's because the House is in Democratic hands. Not by much. I think four or five, four seats. Six seats. Now, since the Republicans, if the Republicans take the House, which it looks like they will. I mean, if you look at the numbers, uh, those are uh, House seats that have either gone Republican or are leaning Republican. It looks like right now, unless the Democrats, uh, it's a Hail Mary for the Democrats, Republicans are going to take the House. And what does that mean? Well, uh, any reference to the uh, former president, any wrongdoing that he did is immediately shut down. They may even have a resolution that says that none of that matters. Uh, we are voting that maybe January 6th didn't even happen. Now, I'm exaggerating a little bit here. Uh, but it's, uh, it, believe me, it's going to shut down quickly. And then the investigations of the Democrats start. Uh, one of those that uh, Kevin McCarthy, who's probably going to be the new speaker, uh, has said uh, Merrick Garland, who is the eternal attorney general. That's the first thing we're going to do is open up an investigation. Uh, certainly Hunter Biden, that investigation is going to explode, uh, which I have no problem with. And I've said that over and over again. Hunter Biden make, uh, making $500,000 from Burisma, which was the Ukrainian natural gas uh, monopoly owned by the government. Uh, and the only experience that Hunter Biden had was uh, he knew how to turn on a gas stove in the morning and maybe do his thermostat with uh, his uh, heater, his uh, home heater. And then that's it. Half a million dollars. You go, wait a minute. What's that about? Uh, was it because he was the son of the vice president when this, uh, uh, the former vice president and the influence that he would have? Uh, no, no, not at all. No, there's no influence. We didn't pay him money because of his connection uh, to the White House and his connection uh, in government, keeping in mind that Joe Biden has only been in government for 40-something years. I think he was a congressman for one term, and then he's been a senator for 40 years, and he was vice president. I mean, you think the guy's connected? Let me tell you, if I'm his son, uh, am I going to use connections? Uh, hell Yeah. So there are all kinds of issues going on, and what the Republicans now are doing are is basically just sweating bullets because they may lose. There is also a possibility that Kevin McCarthy might not win the speakership because there are some very hard-line Republican congresspeople who are saying that Kevin McCarthy is too liberal. And uh, while they don't have the votes to put one of their people into the speakership, they have the votes to make sure that Kevin McCarthy doesn't get into the speakership. Now, is that going to happen? Probably not. I don't think so. And uh, there's also a move to get rid of uh, Mitch McConnell, who is now and will remain the minority leader of the U.S. Senate. Uh, because under uh, his tutelage, under his leadership, they lost the Senate again. Remember, he was the majority leader, and he controlled the Senate. The Speaker and the majority leader have a lot of power. They actually choose what bills go to the floor. 
They can actually say, we're not going to hear that bill. What happened uh, with Merrick Garland and Obama chose, uh, nominated Merrick Garland, if you remember the last uh, year of the Obama presidency. And there was no way Mitch McConnell said, I'm not even let him allowed to have a hearing. He's just not going to be uh, a justice of the Supreme Court. So the, uh, and remember, I told you that uh, the Senate determines judicial uh, confirmations. So we're way up in the air. A couple of interesting races uh, that I'm following. And again, these don't have particular huge influence, but one of them is in Arizona uh, with, uh, I think it's Kathy Hobbs, uh, who is the Democrat, and uh, Carrie Lake, who is the Republican. She's the only sort of national figure who is not only a uh, Trump supporter, but a denier and a straight-out conspiracy nut. Basically saying, if I lose, it's because the, uh, the election was rigged. Fascinating stuff. I love that. And she has said the delay in counting the votes in Arizona, which is not going to happen until probably Tuesday and Wednesday, is a plot to help the Democrats. First of all, I don't know how that helps the Democrats. It just slows down the vote. And second of all, the whole thing is a conspiracy. She's the only one uh, who is really saying that. And then you have Herschel Walker, who is completely unfit to be senator. That's the other one I am watching. Not a lot of influence. Now, I want to talk about electric vehicles. Uh, I've told you that I'm now one of the crowd. I am now uh, getting an electric car. Matter of fact, I have uh, already uh, been on a waiting list And uh, my car comes in between uh, Christmas and New Year's. That is the tentative car or tentative delivery date. And I've been moving towards uh, that move for a couple of years. And why? Well, when they first came out, I wasn't going to do much about it. First of all, when they first came out, it was simply an environmental statement. It was expensive as hell. Ed Begley Jr., who is uh, an actor, a pretty famous actor, uh, he came. He was one of the few, few people that came out with an electric car. And what it was is a bunch of car batteries sitting in the trunk of the car. And some car batteries sitting in the front of the car so the car didn't do donuts and wheelies. So that didn't make a lot of sense. And they had to be, can you imagine charging up uh, 30 or 40 car batteries and making a car run? And uh, it could go exactly 12 or 14 miles before you needed to recharge. I mean, it was just, and could go 12 miles an hour. Uh, no, now electric cars, uh, they, they are now mainstream. I mean, the first group of people were Ed Begley Jr. Uh, and then it moved into affluent, uh, environmentally aware tech enthusiasts, tech nerds who lived where? Southern California, of course. And the Bay Area, but mainly Southern California. So now the they're going mid uh, mainstream. Uh, after making pretty substantial inroads in China and Europe, they're ahead of us in terms of the purchase of these cars. Uh, they are now the fastest growing segment of the auto market. Sales jumped seventy percent in the first nine months of the year. Uh, sales of conventional cars and trucks fell fifteen percent. In the same period. And then we look at the stats, and I love the way it breaks down, because you have to look at who and why and when is buying. Buyers of EVs, uh, and this was last year, and that's when the studies were, although we're going to certainly get some information for this year, uh, are more likely to be women 
and tended to be younger uh, than in 2019, two years previously. Chief executive of Recurrent, a research firm uh, that's uh, focused on the electric vehicle market, said two years ago it was the EV nerds. Uh, now it's uh, virtually everybody, although still affluent young because they're pretty pricey because low-cost EVs are not really available. I mean, there's some out there, but uh, as in during the supply chain, uh, really in the heart of it, you could still buy a very expensive car. Those were available because they make all the profit for the car companies. Now, gasoline-powered cars, of course, make up the huge uh, portion of the uh, market. But it went from uh, 3% to uh, almost 6%, uh, according... uh, uh, from 2021, from ni- uh, 2019. I mean, it's starting to move. And they would have sold a whole lot more simply if uh, uh, automakers have been able to uh, make more electric cars. I was looking at a Tesla, and I was talking to uh, the salesperson. And uh, I said, uh, how, you know, just looking at several different cars. And uh, I said, uh, the waiting list. Uh, he goes, well, it's now down, depending on the model, it's now down to three months. And uh, we would sell every single car. If we doubled the production of those cars, we would sell them. Maybe they'd be on the lot for three days, but they'd be gone. Right now, uh, there's no lot. You, When the car's ready, you pay for it. You can do it online. And uh, they deliver it. And there's a few delivery centers. One of them happened to be Burbank. Right around the corner. Or they'll deliver it to your house. And they're making all of them and selling all of them, and they're not the only ones. So the people that are buying EVs are, number one, concerned about climate change. Uh, Lower costs, and the costs are dropping. Uh, Electricity is cheaper than gas, especially if you have a a solar system at home and you charge at home. Uh, Then charging is free. I was looking at the cost. Uh, It's not particularly cheap, cheap, cheap. And depending on which utility you're in, I think it's 44 per kilowatt hour. So a charge can be 20 bucks for a full charge. Let's say you have a 250 or 270 mile range on a car and you're going to pay about 20, uh, 20 something dollars. Uh, that's in Edison land or other utilities. Uh, if you're in uh, DWP land, Department of Water and Power, it's half that. And that's for a full charge. So it is cheaper and it is a lot more convenient. Oh, my goodness. Especially for someone who is cheap as I am. Because I'll drive uh, for an $0.08 savings per gallon. It drives me completely crazy. If I buy gas at, let's say, $5.69 a gallon, which I did the other day, and I drive three uh, blocks and it's $5.29, I go out of my mind. And it's not that I can't afford it. It's just, come on. Did you really just pay $4 or 5 or 6 or $8 more for a tank full of gas and all you had to do was drive three blocks for that difference? That doesn't happen with electric vehicles. Now, what is holding everybody back from buying them like crazy? Number one, charging stations. There aren't enough. And uh, if you live in an apartment, where are you going to charge it? At home, if you happen to rent or uh, you own a home, that's easy. You put it in the garage, put it next to the garage. But if you live in an apartment, where are you going to charge it? Charging centers, well, they're crowded. I was in Orange County. 
uh, last weekend. And guess what? There's a Tesla charging station at the mall I was at, and there was a line. And it's a 20-minute charge, and there was a line, people waiting. So that's a big issue. But the Biden administration is spending tons of money. I think they want half a million new chargers under uh, the latest bill. So uh, you're going to see more and more and more, and you're going to see me drive an EV. I finally gotten there. And for me, that's a big deal, and I'm not alone. Next car you buy, and even used, will probably be an EV, is uh, my guess. The latest with uh, Twitter. Boy, it sure looks like uh, Musk uh, could have made a big, big mistake on this one. Because the advertiser exodus is accelerating. And it looks like it's going to be really hard for us to bring them back soon. So you look at the lengthening list of advertising, either pausing their spending or just walking away. And this is two weeks after Musk's $44 billion purchase takeover is adding tremendous financial pressure to the company. And Musk spent this past week trying to assuage advertisers' concerns. He is on the phone. He's on video conferencing. He's talking to every advertiser who's willing to talk to him, which is, I assume, everybody. You don't say no thank you to Musk and don't want to take a phone call. And he has uh, done everything to assuage their concerns. Wait a minute. It's not going to be as bad as you say, but everything he did and is now turning around, well, it was bad. So this time of year is very important because this is when the long-term contracts are negotiated for the following year with the largest advertisers. And these are deals that generate more than uh, 30% of its U.S. ad revenue. So we're talking a huge amount of money that is going to be confirmed to be spent in a very small amount of space, and it's done right now. And what makes it even worse, it's not a question of uh, these major advertisers leaving or pausing. If they're going to be on the Internet with Facebook uh, and YouTube, uh, they have to commit now for next year. So even if they say, well, yeah, we're okay with what you've done, the commitment has already been made. And that's what makes it so difficult for Musk. And uh, the discussions haven't even taken place in many cases with Musk because everybody is bailing. So even if he repairs the dynamic... Uh, according to uh, people who are heads of these other platforms, it's going to take a long time to bring these advertisers back quickly because they've switched their uh, they've switched their ad spending. It's according to advertising executives, both on and off the platform. You know, for example, there's one large consumer packaged good company. This is not a, a, a whole lot of money for uh, the uh, the people at uh, at Twitter or the company itself. But it's uh, planning to go dark on uh, Twitter, at least through the first quarter, and it's taking $10 million and moving it to TikTok. Now, $10 million, I said, is a small amount of money, but uh, this is emblematic of what's going on. This is not an outlier. Most ad executives don't expect uh, the same quick and rebound. Meta, the Facebook, uh, Meta's Facebook, they had the similar problem back in 2020, when a whole lot of brands boycotted the platform for over a month 
because hate speech, misinformation was all over it, and they said they were taking care of it, and they didn't. So it was only a month they were gone. And why? Money. They had to come back to Facebook because the return on investment from advertising on Facebook, the ROI, was way too big to ignore. It's not the same with Twitter. It's simply not the same codependency that exists between advertisers and Facebook, according to the marketing officer at uh, LendingTree.com. Big company, obviously. They spend a whole lot of millions of dollars. So who's bailed out already publicly? Companies that we know of. Chipotle is gone. General Mills, General Motors, Oreo. Well, their company is Mondelez, but who the hell knows that? It's Oreo. United Airlines. They have uh, bailed some uh, dozens, have just uh, halted their spending. As I said a few minutes ago, uh, most or many have committed because they have to commit. And so what are advertisers concerned about? Well, the instability of Twitter. The loss of the top leadership after layoffs and resignations. The top, top, I'm going to go, of course, because whenever new owners come into a company, they take the broom and sweep out the top and put their own people in. But... It goes all the way down. Most people being fired. They, uh, Musk fired half of the people at the company. And one of the big complaints about Twitter is uh, that all this disinformation, misinformation, conspiracy crap is on it. And there were a team of, of overseers. And a lot of them were uh, contract uh, players. A lot of them were uh, contract individuals. Well, Musk cut all that. And he said that uh, his belief is it should be an open forum, conspiracy theories or not. And he planned on bringing uh, President, former President Trump back on because of the disinformation, misinformation, conspiracy, outright lies about the election. Twitter threw him off permanently. Well, Musk said, oh, I'm bringing him back on. Well, I got a few people pissed off. By the way, he hasn't done that yet. And he's peddling back. Oh, he's coming back on all the stuff that he said, but certainly not the layoffs. And the other big problem with Twitter, unlike the other major platforms that sell the data for data mining to advertisers, that's what they're buying. Twitter is all about just ads, straight ads. That's where they get 90% of the income. Musk said last week he had an um, all-hand staff meeting. He did that over video, and he said that Twitter has suffered a massive drop in revenue. He wasn't sure how much uh, financial runway that the company still had and that bankruptcy was not out of the question. Think it was a good move? I think Musk is sweating bullets, and Twitter may not even come back. I don't know. Some people say it will, that he can turn the company around. But from what I see, eh. But then again, I'm no great expert. I'm sitting here behind the mic making all kinds of statements of which uh, I don't know a whole lot or anything about. Hey, welcome to the world of uh, talk, talk radio. We're all experts, right? We're brilliant. Just ask me a question. I'll tell you the answer instantly. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.